Hello and welcome to the Four Comic Junkies podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges, and we are a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by the dadgum original Batman on film. How you doing, folks? It is spooky season, and I'm very excited for today's episode because it ended up just like last time. Well, kind of last time. We get into it. Um, It ended up being one of my favorite episodes. Um, Today we are talking 30 years of Silence of the Lambs. Isn't that crazy? That's so, that's like crazy to me. I can't believe that movie is that old and it feels, and there's a weird, and there's kind of a timelessness to it in a, in a cool way. Um, we you know, everybody knows Hannibal Lecter, the, you know, and Clarice, you know, especially if you're a fan of The Office at all. <laughs> um, but uh, my guest today is Ryan C. Showers from the uh, Scream with Ryan C. Showers podcast. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a guest on his show um, uh, a while back, actually. We recorded uh, over the summer, um, and then... Um, he released it a couple months later, and I ended up kind of doing the same thing to him. I was like, hey, I happen to have the studio reserved. Do you happen to have some free time on Saturday? And he said, oh, I'd, I'd love to. And we got to chatting. And, and Ryan is, a, is such a cool guy. Uh, you know, we, you know, he's a, you know, obviously with his podcast, he's a huge Scream fan. He's a huge horror fan. And, you know, we got really deep into this movie, which I was expecting, um, given, you know, how deep he gets into Scream on his show. But uh, I was really blown away. I was like, man, this is, this is fun. Like, we're having really intelligent, awesome conversations about this really incredible movie that, um, I know it is, is, you know, has rewatchability in a weird way. And maybe it shouldn't, but it does. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. Uh, so I'm very excited. I'm very excited for you to finally hear this episode. Um, and, uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for Comic Junkies. That's F-O-R, Comic Junkies. And, um, you know, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please, uh, subscribe, write a review, you know, uh, get the word out that, uh, some cool people come on the show and we talk, we talk some pretty cool shit sometimes. All right, let's, uh, let's get right into it. The Silence of the Lambs, Clarice. Okay, we are back with spooky season. Halloween is coming up. Um, Even though this past couple years have felt scary enough on their own. (laughs) Um, But hey, we're uh, we're doing it anyway. Um, We're going to have our own fantasy fun I don't know what I'm saying. Let's just get into the episode. Anyway, uh, uh, like, uh, as I said, uh, my guest today is Ryan C. Showers from the uh, Scream podcast with Ryan C. Showers. Ryan, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, a little bit of a short notice, but I'm glad that we were able to make this work. Honestly, uh, Sounds of the Lambs is one of my favorite movies, like top five of favorite movies of all time. So uh, even uh, the short notice was not an issue. I was like, you know what? I have to put, uh, prioritize this. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. Um, you, you know, it's, well, oh, yeah, go ahead. And, 
Uh, also, I'm really excited to be here because uh, your episode that you did on my show, we recorded it a couple of weeks ago, but it was actually, I have to say, one of my favorite um, episodes that I recorded, at least especially through that time. Uh, so you were probably like the 14th episode that I recorded mm-hmm. um, this summer. So um, I was, whenever we were having our conversation, uh, we you know we did it on a very narrow topic, which was the uh, Mickey in Scream 2 mm-hmm. as the killer. And uh, I I felt like there was a lot of, there was like a kinetic energy, like we really got on the same wave, wavelength and we had a really interesting substantive, uh, uh, sorry, sub- substantial discussion about him. So I, I really enjoyed our podcast together mm-hmm. uh, and I can't wait for our, our episode to go up. It should be premiering in a couple of weeks. Oh, that, that that's awesome to hear. And it was, it was funny because I, I thought that too, where um, I, you know, I was as we were talking, I was like, I was like, I kind of feel like a friendship is forming here. And then, like, as I was like thinking that, you literally sent me a friend request on Facebook, and I was like, oh, so it wasn't just <laughs> wasn't just me thinking that. Like, oh, we, you know, we're on we're on the same wavelength. This is cool. No, I no, I felt like we definitely uh, we definitely crossed the line where we're into friendship on that episode. And I just think that we both did. I feel like we we connected in a great way intellectually and really went even farther in places I wasn't expecting to with that, within that character. Like uh, we got just as a preview for your listeners, if you guys do go ahead and listen to JJ on my show, um, probably like in two or three weeks, uh, he, he uh, we actually dove into like something about Qu- Quentin Tarantino, which wasn't even on my radar whenever I was preparing the episode. Like mm-hmm. it was, uh, it, it was a very, it was a great discussion. So, um, and we're both from Pennsylvania. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, also very cool yeah <laughs> yeah it was uh it was, yeah it was a lot of fun um and it was it was funny because i i was you know catching up on your show and i was thinking about it, i was like man i was like man like um i was like i can't wait to like re-listen to that because that's uh that was a lot of fun um but um you know but getting uh getting you know moving over to uh the early 90s as opposed to the later 90s with uh, with scream um so this film, Silence of the Lambs, um, is such a a rare case of a really beautifully made movie that um, you know. You know, so like it, it's kind of infamous for it, the Hannibal Lecter of it, um, which is interesting to think because um, it's a two-hour movie, but Anthony Hopkins is in less than half an hour of it, um, and I think that that's so. You know, and it's funny because I was re- when I was rewatching it, I was th- I was thinking about it. I was like, it you know he's he's only in like I think twenty four minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but like really, his presence is felt throughout the entire thing, which is remarkable, and that speaks to how powerful he is as that character. Oh yeah, I mean, and it's even like, so. Can I just explain like a little theory I have about? his screen time since since that's how we kind of you started the show yeah sure. um so i've dealt a lot with screen times with movies like uh, more so with like oscar-y type movies um just because i have a friend who times all the oscar performances and i've learned i've kind of enjoyed that little hobby sometimes uh, you know timing people's specific screen times here and there mm-hmm. and i've actually done it for all of the the characters in all four screen movies so <laughs> i am kind of well versed in like how like film editing is used and like how like how characters are distributed throughout a running time and uh with Hannibal Lecter it's interesting because technically he does have such a small amount of screen time but you but like 
I think something that gets forgotten when we have this conversation is that most of his scenes, even whenever he, you know, is whenever he has his scenes with Clarice, the way that the sounds of the lambs is shot and directed, it's almost like, uh, you know, with him, it's uh, he, first of all, there's a lot of close-ups in this movie, mm-hmm. but with his, with his, the way that he's featured in the missing sin of, of the frame, it's always just him or just Clarice. It's never like a shot reverse shot. So that contributes to the screen time as well, because he's so re- confined for the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but I do, I'm curious, do you think he was rightfully put in lead for the Oscars? Because he, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster both won for lead, but they won the leading Oscars that year. Um, what's your opinion? You know, I, I'm not sure because as I was thinking about it, it's like maybe he should have been classified as a supporting actor, but the way that the character is written and the way that the character is talked about throughout the movie makes it, it does make it feel like he, he is a lead performance, even if technically speaking, you know, he probably should have been a supporting character and kind of is a supporting character. I, and I, I get that argument. I do kind of, I do think he was rightfully put in lead. Like, I think, you know, uh, with like, I think we need to look at how the story is formed and how he functions and where, where in the story do they share perspective? Where does she have perspective? Where does he have perspective? And I do think that they are co-leads, even though this is Clarice's story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of his story as well. Like, you know, because he isn't really, he isn't really that important to the Buffalo Bill storyline at all. I mean, it's really Clarice who runs the runs the show there. He has his own arc, his own separate storyline. And I think, I, I think the relationship between the two characters is what the movie is about. So in that case, I do think that it is proper that he was put in, in lead. And like, you know, it, it, I, I, you know, cause we, this is something that gets talked about a lot with Sounds of Lance, you know, is his screen time specifically, mm-hmm. you know, Nicole Kidman won, won, won best actress for playing Virginia Woolf. And she has just about as much as he does in, uh, in her film. So like, you know, it's not something, I don't think it's as rare as what we may think, if that makes sense. Oh, no, no, I, I, I do know that. And, and I love that learning about stuff like that, like in, in, uh, in the original Star Wars, like Darth Vader only has something like 12 minutes of screen time or something. Yet he's like, you know, when audiences left the movie theater, you know, because of his kind of signature look, that's who they thought of when they left the movie, right? Um, you know, but that was also kind of a different world back in 1977. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and I think that stuff like that is really fascinating and it speaks to how, you know, like I said before, like how powerful these characters can be. And I mean, Anthony Hopkins, you know, it's it's really interesting the way that we're introduced to this character. And and there's a theory here I wanted to talk to you about um, with horror movies um, where, you know, it, it's like what's what's scarier, like the the monster coming towards you or you going to the monster? And in this case, it's Clarice going to the monster. Right, because mm-hmm. she goes to the very end of the hall where he's at, and and the whole and like Dr. Chilton right at the beginning is like, oh, he's a monster, and you know, look at what he did to this uh, this nurse when you know, uh, and his pulse never got above eighty five. Like, so you're assuming like, so she walks by all these like deranged you know killers, and so you think we're gonna see like this like, I don't know, like Dracula or Frankenstein or the Mummy. We're we're gonna see some sort of monster, right? And instead, like we see the most polite man in the world <laughs> just looks at her and just goes, good morning. You know, <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah, like what, what is this? And 
Um, well, and it's a great way to catch the audience off guard as to who he is right off the bat. Well, it's also this movie with their relationship is so psychological mm-hmm. and that's what makes it, that's what heightens their, like the, the fear. I think like there is a lot of suspense even in their conversational scenes because he's Hannibal Lecter. Like you said, he has this like warm out, outward appearance and kind of, he's almost charming in a way, yeah. like his personality, but then some of the things that he says are they're they're just so off the wall and so creepy. Like so, there's all of that that builds into it. But like, I kind of agree with you. Like, I like that's that first scene uh, where she walks through um, all past all the prisoners to get to him. It's very scary, and not really because of Anthony Hopkins. It's, it's scary because of the way that Jonathan Demi directs that with like the the camera angles above her head and like the darkness with each of the different um, inmates and their creepiness and the you know the, the sexually explicit um guy who's locked up and throws the semen at her like it's uh you know it's i think that it creates such a mood on top of the psychological warfare and i think that's kind of i mean this movie is i have to say for not being a very gory movie it's very scary for the presence that it gives uh to the uh, to the audience like i i find this movie like i find the like you know uh, Catherine being in the, the the well, I find that to be so terrifying and so visceral. Like it makes my chest like tighten up when I think about it. Like it's such a scary thing. Yeah. Um. It, and I don't know. It's it's different from other horror movies and other scary movies where, um, like it's you know, sound, and I think Silence of the Lambs achieves something very unique when it comes to being a thriller horror crime movie compared to movies like The Exorcist or. Like Halloween or Scream, where they those are very more much more what we think of as scary movies. Whereas Silence of the Lambs is such a suspenseful thing, and it hits you in deep deep ways that you don't really that you're not really used to, and that's what makes that that, that uncomfortableness makes it this masterpiece that we have today. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's the the atmosphere of the movie. There's a there's a reality to it. You know, it's like like for example, I just saw. Um, the the new Candyman, which I enjoyed, by the way, um, I and that and the Candyman movies are scary because like there's there's a, a literal monster like lurking in the shadows and in you know in the mirror or whatever, and so you know and and there's sort of that uh, <laughs> um, to get topical for just a second here. I'm thinking I'm realizing it as I'm thinking it. Um, it's like, you know, if, if you know there's a monster that's going to kill you, why would you say his name five times in the mirror? It's like, well, look at all these fucking idiots that won't wear a mask <laughs> you know, yeah. when there's a literal Oops. disease killing everybody. So, yeah, that's that's very realistic. But at the same time, I can leave the movie or I can turn the movie off, whatever, and and go to sleep thinking there's that's just an urban legend. There's that's not real. Um versus like Silence of the Lambs, it's like, oh, no, like this this is based in reality, like. Um, the first few seasons of the Criminal Minds was like some of my favorite television of all time um, because that dealt with like real stuff with, you know, the FBI hunting like real killers and everything. And um, I mean, not real, it's a fictional show, but you know what I mean? Um, and this movie as well, it doesn't, the reality of it is reality. It isn't heightened at all. It doesn't feel like I'm not sitting there thinking like, oh, this this is deliberately outlandish. Like, no, no, this mm-hmm. is, this this is like I'm watching a news report. You know what I mean? That kind of feeling. Yeah, definitely. And I I think the the setting of uh, Silence of the Lambs makes it feel like that. I one thing I didn't appreciate whenever I watched Silence of the Lambs back when I was younger was the fact that 
was the setting because it's very important to what you're describing. Uh, you know, you ha for setting the film, you know, in kind of the capital, like with the establishment of the FBI and Washington. And I, that's like, you know, that's so true in a lot of ways that that, that's, that is our world. Like that those people run our country, but also you have that counteracted by, you know, uh, this more rural, uh, you know, off the beaten path, like in no man's land mm -hmm. that a lot of people in the, that America live. Like I grew up in a very small, um, small town. So I can relate to Clarice's um, backstory a little bit. I can relate to where Clarice goes to find Catherine at, Bu at Buffalo Bill's house. Like that, all of that is so real. So I think having like having both of those settings, like the United States, like capital and these more like country, uh, you know, settings, I think that contributes to what you're describing that makes this movie feel like real life. Yeah. It, and it, you know, the, the, the atmosphere that is set up like right off the bat is, you know, cause we're just seeing Clarice just, you know, like literally right at the start of the movie, just, she's just training. She's just, you know, going, you know, like going through the FBI obstacle course and everything. So, and you know, and she's not all glammed up. Like she's, you know, it's Jodie Foster all sweaty and, you know, and any, any woman would be like, Oh, like I feel gross before I go meet, you know, uh, Mr. Crawford, let me like, <laughs> you know, let me clean up or something. Um, not to like stereotype women, but you know, I would probably feel the same way. Um, but you know, and then she, but you know, it's just, so it's like right off the bat, it's like, okay, so this, this feels, this feels real. Like there's, here's a, a, a regular woman doing her work. Um, and then we're, we're thrown. And I, it's interesting because we're thrown right into the movie. There's no like, you know, you know, eight years ago, Hannibal Lecter was arrested, you know, kind of a thing. It's like, you know, you, you don't really know what to expect because the movie just throws you right into it. And, and it's a, and it's a smart way to do it where she's getting all this information about a little bit about Buffalo Bill, a little bit about Hannibal Lecter, right. You know, right at the start of the film. And it's a smart way to do it. That doesn't feel expository. It just feels like a conversation between a boss and a subordinate. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then, then, well, you know, the movie has, you know, it's, it's, really well paced too like i don't think it it doesn't really despite it having slower moments i don't feel like it slows down at all no i i completely agree the pace is tight and uh, the plot is thick and heavy and the the characters are also thick you know and, and heavy for a weird that's a weird way to describe characters but you know what i mean like they're, uh, they're there's so much to their their character development as well as a plot that is very densely plotted throughout and mm -hmm. uh you know i have to say like you know uh you were talking about the opening scene uh with jodie foster you know going around the obstacle course um at the fbi i have to say like uh, you know silence of the lambs like we get so few best picture winners or even like you know, we get more horror movies with female leads but i feel like silence of the lambs is a landmark in cinematic history both for horror movies and for like you know just prestige movies in general for being a feminist masterpiece like i it, it's almost unbelievable to me that this movie got made and got made the way that jonathan demi did it mm -hmm. like it is like the the feminist criticism in silence of the lambs it's in every scene it's practically in every frame it really is about uh you know how a woman fits into you know such a male established career and um, environment and professional setting, um, you know, every, you know, and I think 
that's kind of what the the opening with her running around the obstacle course is like it's about uh, that's the, the symbolism of what the rest of the movie is talking about uh you know the way that like the casual misogyny that she has to deal with in every single scene with every different type of man and the the film does it in very specific ways like they uh, very specific instances of different types of misogyny mm-hmm. that women deal with um but also i love that the fact that like jonathan demi changes it changes things up and instead of giving the female gaze we see a lot of the scenes through clarice's perspective and mm-hmm. what we would call the female gaze um right. especially like with like different uh different men like i you know the the, the, the shot of dr Chilton whenever she's first meeting him it's so female gazy it's just it's wild it's wild to me that jonathan demi had such a Uh, like a vigor to tell a story in this way Mm -hmm. um back in the 90s and the fact that it has grown to have this you know to be one of those famous movies of all time you know i think people who you know who have issues with feminism would watch this movie and and not like and you would tell them oh yeah sounds and lambs is actually a feminist you know criticism and they wouldn't like it's it's done in a weird way where i feel like people who aren't um, susceptible or have the sensibility for feminism that they would be like, nah, nah, that's not feminist propaganda. But it's you know, like, but it really, it, it's a brilliant academic movie if you look at it in, in those ways. Mm-hmm. But it's mainstream too, and that's what's so beautiful about it. Yeah, I no, I um, I love the way you're putting that um, because you know when I was rewatching it, I, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I'm like, okay, so we're dealing with like Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter, who are these like, you know, awful human beings who are you know just monsters in human form but then we have like dr chilton and i'm like i think i hate him the most <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right he's just such an asshole like and you know when he like he's like you know i must he's like oh are, are, how long are you going to be in baltimore this can be quite a fun town i'm like i'm like yeah oh, go fuck yourself man <laughs> like you know and and, oh. I, and i like that she just kind of blows him off immediately and and she kind of gives it back to him a little bit you know she does. It, it's, it's 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 a really good moment when you know, she's like, well, you know, if you think you're his nemesis, I'll just go in alone. And he's like, well, you mm-hmm. could have saved me the trip. She's like, well, then I would have been deprived of your company. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, you dog, you got him. <laughs> like, you know, exactly. It's if in that kind of man's mind. It's enough of a win. Like, oh, maybe she's warming up to me. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, if that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> No, it, it does. Like it, it, and that that line is so infamous, and the way that she plays with him, especially, I think, is fun. I mean, like there is like you know instances elsewhere too. Like you know, whenever she's asked um, not to be in the the meeting, whenever the at the um, at the funeral home, like there's mm-hmm. there are so many little things, and like you know, a lot of them are are overt, like what we're talking about, but a lot of them are very subtle, and it's done with the camera angles and like just weird things that men say now. I feel like Silence of the Lambs is almost an essential viewing post Me Too. Like if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs for in the past five years, I would absolutely recommend rewatching it now because everything, how culture has shifted in the past um, five years and how these ideas about um, gender and feminism and equality and uh, they've shifted so much where, you know, something that, that that was radical 10 years ago is now the mainstream. So to watch it with the Me Too lens, it, it this movie, it, it just creates such another dimension to this movie that is just unbelievable. Like, I mean, you know, those of us who, you know, have all, some of us have always been aware of it, but like for it to, you know, I, I just feel like it's even extra heightened in today's world. No, it, it, it totally is. And it's, it's interesting to think that where a lot of movies that, um, 
and, and having it be done in, in kind of a subtle way um, that, that fe again, feels real, right? Um, where this, this woman is seemingly overpowered by all these men, but she can still hold her own for the most part. Um, it, it's, it's interesting that this movie has aged well in, in that type mm -hmm. of lens, whereas a lot of other movies haven't. And, um, you know, it's, and, and again, having it be directed by a man says something as well that, like, oh, he handled this, this story really well, as opposed to, like I said, like another male director may not have. Um, and I, and I, and it was interesting where I, when I was, re when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, it's interesting that I think, you know, as the movie goes on, she can, she does hold her own against, you know, all, you know, against Hannibal and Buffalo Bill. But then as, you know, I'm watching it, I'm thinking, well, she kind of doesn't like she does get she is afraid of Hannibal at first. Um, she is, you know, when she, you know, confronts Buffalo Bill at the end of the film, it it she is when she starts to realize that, oh, no, this is the guy like it's. You know she's she's scared and rightfully so yeah. because he has this labyrinth underneath his house, which <laughs> um, is just utterly terrifying in and of itself. Um, and I have a funny story about that when uh, when we were kids and we were moving from um, uh, a town called Waterford back into Erie. You know they're like basically connected. They're like it's like a twenty minute drive apart from each other. Uh, but you know we were going to be closer to our schools and everything. Yada yada. Um, all involves parents' divorce and moving around, you know, that old, that old story. Anyway, <laughs> um, my dad was looking at houses and he was talking to us. He was like, so I was at this house and the realtor showed me around and we went into the basement. And let me tell you about this basement. And my sister went, sounds of the lambs. And he was like, yes. And she was like, don't buy that house. He's like, I'm not going to buy that house. <laughs> uh, it was so funny that like, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think uh, uh, the movie is it's one of those things that it's just it's in the pop culture zeitgeist right um, it is. same way that like people know even if you've never seen star wars you know may the force be with you you know even if you've never seen star trek you know live long and prosper if you've never seen silence of the lambs you you know at least you know you know i ate his liver with a side of fava beans you know <laughs> like people people know these weird lines because they just sort of exist in our zeitgeist um, and it, and it speaks, I, and it speaks to how powerful the movie is really. It does. And it's funny though, because, uh, you know, so science of the lambs has a very powerful place in the culture. Um, but somehow that power wasn't strong enough to transcend, um, for the CBS show Clarice to really get picked up and find a, have find a, a huge audience mm -hmm. um, that it needed to, which, I mean, in reality, this show probably wasn't meant for CBS because CBS looks has like such a broad, um, a, a paints with such a broad brush when it's looking for its audience. Mm -hmm. Whereas Clary's, given the subject matter and uh, just the history, it sh probably should have been on HBO or something. But it, I think it's interesting that Sounds of the Lambs has such power and such name recognition and we, everybody knows it and everybody loves it yet it wasn't able to find a, an audience on cbs um you know and I, I watched it and i liked it it was good enough it was you know i think it was i think a lot of normal mainstream people would have liked it but it was kind of character dense and it did borrow a lot from the movie and like you know had i not rewatched the movie right before i started the show you know i may have been a, a little lost so mm. i think that the show did tried to do right by the film 
with the way that it handled the characters and such, but maybe it was just too, uh, it was too niche and too detailed um, in order for the audience, an audience member who may not have seen Sounds of the Lambs since it came out in theaters, you know, maybe like, maybe like it wasn't like, uh, you know, this show is too specific for those types of people. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's possible. I can't speak much to it because I, I haven't, I still haven't seen the show despite um, stealing my sister's Paramount Plus. I mean, I pay for it. If anybody's listening, I pay for it myself. Anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, but I, I, th- I thought it looked really good. And then there was the Hannibal show that, that I think was popular and it's very good. It's also mm-hmm. for an NBC show, um, another network that I think has kind of a specific you know, audience was really dark and really gory. Like, I, I can't believe this was on broadcast television, you know, rewatching it. I was like, Jesus, like, this is, this is this the kind of like cringeworthy, but like deliberately because it's supposed to feel like, you know, like quote unquote real and, you know, I don't want to say outlandish, but, but gory, I guess would just be the best word. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's so, in, you know, but, you know, but that show, unfortunately, like for whatever reason, had enough of an audience to keep it going, but not enough to have it have much of an impact outside of like a cult following, I guess. And, you know, yeah. and, and maybe these things are timing. I, I don't know. But either way, I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, it's it's sad because like, you know, Hannibal as a character, it's funny because Clarice is the person like, you know, I know a lot of people will take away from Sons of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter. But for me, the show, the movie has always been about Clarice. Uh, I it, it, she is who I remember. It's her arc that I remember. Um, it's her in the basement holding the gun in the dark that I remember. Like it's Jodie Foster's performance that I remember. I, I mean, I'm not trying to undersell um, Anthony Hopkins, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, he of the two of them though he was the one and hannibal lecter as a character was the one who went on to have even more cultural importance and prominence um with you know he had two sequels himself he had a prequel and then um you know he like you know this show hannibal uh on nbc like you know i think what cbs was trying to do was tr- they were trying to tap into that similar um success and okay we hannibal got all this acclaim and success now we can try to do it with clarice and it makes me sad that it didn't work out because i think clarice is just as interesting of a character and just as worthy of a character um and it's it's too bad that it didn't work out um but you know but like you were saying the impact that silence of the lambs has had has led to such a, a, a cemented place for hannibal lecter in you know not just in the horror world but in just movie world in general yeah it's um it's really you know and i think that a lot of it has to do with just how you know just how perfectly anthony hopkins plays the character like you know in you know in in the middle of the movie when he beats up the the guard when he kills the guards you know because earlier in the film like i said you know uh chilton says like oh you know this is what he did to this nurse and his pulse never got above 85 we actually get to see him do something equally terrifying um Mm -hmm. and again his pulse never rises above 85 you know but it's like we we literally get to watch him do it and that's a great attention to detail where a lesser actor might have been like screaming and yelling at and ah, you know, I'm escaping or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But Anthony Hopkins just is so understated, and it's such an interesting performance because he's so 
um, because he is kind of charming. And, you know, like right at the beginning, Crawford says to uh, to Clarice, he's like, you know, don't he's like, um, don't, um, you know, don't let Hannibal Lecter get in your head. And and of course she does. Um, but like, how could you not? Like, he's just so like inviting and he's polite and he's just like, he's like, you know, not like tell me about your past. And, and she, and she does. And you can see that she doesn't really regret it, you know, because she thinks she's trying to further her agenda of, you know, catching Buffalo Bill. And he's just kind of like, you know, just kind of messing with her and, and wants to get to know her. And, you know, it's like, is he in love with her? Is he just messing with her? You know, you don't, and I think that's great about this movie, you know, just in a vacuum in, in and of itself, you don't really know what his end game is with her. Um, but I like that there is a weird understanding there. Like later when he escapes, she's like, he's not going to come after me. Like, I don't know how to explain it. He'd, th- he'd think that was rude. And it's like, and you believe her. You're like, no, she, she knows him. Like this, they have a strange bond now that's kind of going to last forever. <laughs> It's it, it is an interesting relationship, and it's one that like, I don't think Clarice wanted to get into her personal life, and the like. It was you know it was a requisite though for for Hannibal for him to talk to her and for her to get this access from him. So I love how you have the main plot of the film, which is catching Buffalo Bill, but also Clarice's backstory gets developed in these really in the, in these conversations between the two characters. And uh, the conversations are, you know, almost overwhelming. Like this, the one where he's in um, Philadelphia, or uh, they're in Philadelphia, right? I think, um, I think so. The last time they talk to each other in person, and he's in the cage. Yeah, um, yeah. That, like, every time, like, I watch that scene, it just I get overcome with emotion. Like, even though I know how good it is, and I, even though I know where it's going, and the points, the emotional beats that it hits. Like it's so it's it's incredible. Like I for, from an acting perspective, the way that it's framed with the very close close ups and the writing, I just think it's you know it's a masterpiece. It's probably I, I have so many scenes in this movie that I love, but that's one of the probably the top three for me. It, you know, it's it's interesting because the the movie sort of inadvertently forces us to to be Clarice because we're seeing because having. You know, it, and it's almost every character that interacts with her is looking directly into the camera. Um, and that's such a weird, like, fourth wall break that doesn't happen very often. There was a movie uh, uh, several years ago called um, In Good Company with uh, Dennis Quaid and uh, Topher Grace. And if you've never seen it, don't worry, it's a bad movie. But uh, <laughs> there's, but they, they, when Dennis Quaid and Topher Grace first meet, it's like, Dennis Quaid was passed up for a promotion and Topher Grace got it and obviously he's much younger and so this causes some animosity. So they're doing the same thing where they're the cam- they're looking directly into the camera talking to each other and it's supposed to be kind of a tense scene but it's just, it, you know, and I don't know, maybe the director was thinking, oh, this is my Silence of the Lambs thing but he did not do it nearly as effectively as it was done in this film because, you know, like I said, we're... we're we are Clarice in the movie. We are watching um, the movie from her perspective, um, and it doesn't really shift even. And even when we're when we're with Catherine in the well, you know, like we're mm-hmm. looking down at her the way that Buffalo Bill is. You know, we're looking up at him the way he. You know, it's and it's framed perfectly um, so that we get this 
really uncomfortable sense you know and even like the whole like goodbye horses scene which by the way it's like i like that song but i don't think i could ever listen to it outside of this movie (laughs) um but because i would just think of buffalo bill just you know in his lips in the camera and the way he's like dancing around and it's just you know you just look at him and go man this guy is he doesn't live in our world he is in his own world and it is and I don't want to ever go there, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so we're like, so the, you know, the, like I said, the film is framed so perfectly that we're, if Clarice is uncomfortable, we're uncomfortable. If Clarice is comfortable, we're comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a really great way to do it because, uh, you know, my only gripe with the movie, and not even a big one, is that I'm not a big fan of the score, you know? Um, I, I don't think it, it doesn't, it doesn't hit me the way that like Jaws or even the Scream movies, like they, I think they're scored very well where this movie doesn't, uh, you know, like the music comes on and I'm like, I I feel like this movie could have done without the music. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I kind of disagree. I, I I don't think the score overall is um, exemplary, but I do think there are parts of the score that are very signature of this movie. Like whenever, for instance, when I put the DVD in, and I'm waiting for the menu to come up and it, it starts playing. I think it's the music maybe when she's walking into Hannibal Lecter's, uh, you know, into, into the cells. I forget what, what, what part it is, but it's something that's like, it's a piece of music that's very iconic and specific to the movie. Mm-hmm. And every time I like even just wait for the, the, the menu to pop up, I get kind of filled with nostalgia or like warmth, like, ooh, I'm being put into the Silence of the Lambs universe. So I agree. It's not like, it's not, it's nowhere near Scream or, um, or Halloween or Psycho, but it's it, I I do like it for the mm. most part. Um, pro tip though, if you're uh, making a Halloween playlist, uh, don't put the Psycho theme song on uh, on the Halloween playlist at random and then take a shower because that was oh, right. uh, <laughs> that was an experience I won't forget when it came on and it comes on immediately like the, eh, eh, and I was just like. You know, and I was sort of expecting it because, like, you know, I I put like all kinds of weird stuff on there, you know, but like something like, you know, this is Halloween from Nightmare Before Christmas. And so I'm like singing along to that. And then like the next song is that. So I'm in the shower and I just you can't help but look at at the shower curtain and go, all right. Nope. okay, I'm safe. All right. Why did I do that? That was the (laughs) best idea I've ever had in my life. Um, (laughs) But uh, well, no, go ahead. No, I have to say though, since you since we kind of uh, mentioned name dropped Psycho and Halloween for a sec, like mm-hmm. I, it's weird to me because you know all I would put those three movies also I would put all three Sons of the Lambs, Halloween, Psycho, and of course the Scream movies in my top ten films of all time. Mm. Um, I, you know, I actually think Sons of the Lambs is my favorite of the of the three of them. There's something about Sons of the Lambs that is um, just especially timeless, where it builds off of the it builds off the backs of different horror movies but it's something that's so i know this is gonna sound weird but it's original because it it, it sounds weird because we were so inundated with these you know law and order csi kind of shows and things in the culture Mm -hmm. but science of the lands does something that's very original and unique and very carved out and something that's very of itself where i don't think you know that aren't easily replicated like i just uh i have such respect for the way that jonathan demi directed the film um like i whenever i watch his movie like i just feel like he i feel like I'm, i i say to myself why can't all movies be this perfect like in terms of the the way that set the shots are set up the way that characters are 
perceived the way that like the film flows with, with the edit with the editing though the perspective like he does absolutely everything right and it's so crisp and so detailed i just but it's not like overly like over the top in terms of how it's um and, and how it's brought to life it's very much just it's a movie and it, but it's just done to the perfect degree like there are there aren't really special effects there's nothing like there, there's no, nothing epic or earth shattering about like the setting and stuff it's just it's just a well-told movie and it just makes me like be like why can't all movies be like this no I, I i totally agree because you know there's so many movies i watch and just think like you know and it's funny like a, a, a super random example um the 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 uh live action aladdin uh there's a scene where uh jasmine uh is being like kept uh, being taken away because like jafar has wished to be sultan i think that's the part it's been a while since i've seen it but uh and she starts to sing a song about how she wants to break free and everything and and naomi scott you know beautiful voice the the song is amazing but it stops the movie and i was mm-hmm. sort of annoyed that i felt like i was the only one that thought that all all the critics and everything were like and naomi scott steals the movie with this this scene i was like i was like she kind of she she steals it but not in a good way <laughs> like it just the movie stopped for for that scene and i didn't like that and i feel that way with other movies where there'll just be a scene that stops the movie and i'm like like why is this in here um and uh, other than to egregiously showcase this character's talent or this actress talent which is fine but um there, there could have been a better way to do it i think uh, but this the, well, this movie i think does not do that and i think that's a good point and you meant you referenced this earlier where i um, you think the movie is well paced i think that has something to do i think your two points connect because uh like you know for instance that could have easily been the case whenever like Hannibal Lecter escapes from prison we really do take a divergence away from the buffalo from the main storyline which is buffalo bill and Clarice trying to you know Clarice being involved in the the investigation um but it doesn't it doesn't seem like we're wasting time on a, on a subplot because again the movie for me anyway is about the story is about these the relationship between these two characters and how how each of them have this journey through this buffalo bill storyline and the the b storyline which is hannibal's like it it really gets to come full circle in a way and i the plot twist i know this is i know i'm talking about pacing but the plot twist of him being alive and wearing the the guy's face Mm -hmm. uh I, I, one of the one of the best twists in a movie that it doesn't really get talked about a lot. Like you know, whenever we talk about plot twists, twists and like an iconic plot twists, we don't really talk about that one. But it's it's one of the greatest, I think. Uh, you know, it's it's. I'm glad you brought that up because that that is my favorite scene of the movie because it's it's so tense and so uh, well done. And I remember watching it as a kid with my dad and my dad was weird where like I, he didn't like X-Men. He didn't like me watching X-Men, but then he'd be like, you know, I'm like, you know, seven or eight years old. He said, we're going to watch The Exorcist. I'm like, OK, dad, um, as opposed to this cartoon that's made for children. But sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, um, but, you know, we watched Silence of the Lambs. And I remember that that moment, that moment is burned in my brain when he sits up and, and pulls the face off um, and. And I remember saying to my dad, I was like, where did he get that mask from? And my dad was like, it wasn't a mask. And I was like, well, yeah, it was. He pulled, I mean, he, and my dad just kind of looked at me like, mm-hmm. and I was like, ew. <laughs> and, uh, and that like grossed me out, but it, it was burned into my brain as this totally like 
holy shit moment of like um of anything that could have happened in the movie you know and even watching it now i'm like it it still surprises me it still shocks me and it you know it's so well done where we don't even have to like linger on it too long like he rips the face off and we see anthony hopkins and then it immediately cuts away uh or cuts you know to like an exterior shot of the ambulance and it's just like like this is you know like they knew what they were doing with this movie like it's very much a study of less is more like we don't have to we didn't have to see hannibal setting all this up we didn't have to see um how he got the face off we just had to see that it was done and that was enough and i wish more movies were of that less is more thing you know like like you were talking about before a little bit it's very concise in the way that it's it's explained and honestly it wouldn't have worked any other way like i think uh the way that it's done it creates that big surprise at the end mm-hmm. um because and it's like with the clothing like it's it's so smart and like that visual of whenever the police first enter the the room where the jail cell was mm-hmm. and you see the guy strung up like uh, it's arresting you know so there's are there's this there's like this heightened sense of like horror on top of the suspense and the action of the uh, of the scene and then you have this brilliant twist at the end that shows why Hannibal Lecter is the genius that everyone so far has described him as like we get to see that in action so again that's a really nice piece of like character you know uh, character sat- like satisfaction in a way like I don't know I don't know how we would describe that but whenever a character is build up as being so smart or he's the best or he's the strongest or whatever and then you get to see it in action i think that's a really nice way to kind of conclude his uh his character arc uh, uh so yeah no i i totally agree and it's and it's far too often that movies will tell us that a character is smart or strong or whatever it's like it's it's enough louder than words right you know it's it's not enough to be told that it's like no i i need to see it you know uh, um and 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 I think in, in that case it we're we're shown just how ruthless that guy is, and it's and it's really 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 terrifying. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and and switching gears a little bit over to uh, to Buffalo Bill, um, I, I have a funny story that I want to talk about a little bit here. Like two two things I was thinking about. Um, so the you know I, I if if you know you or the audience isn't aware of this, it, it, this is kind of a funny tidbit that. Um, when Seth Green auditioned for Family Guy, he used his Buffalo Bill like impression. You know, he should be like, hey dad, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And, and the Seth Farland loved it and cast him. And then as the show went on, he changed the voice up. But um, uh, he was telling this story on uh, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. Uh, you know, Michael Rosenbaum was Lex Luthor on Smallville. You know, most I'm sure most of my listeners know that. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, he, so they were talking about it and Michael Rosenbaum brought up something really funny that I've thought too, where he was like, I remember seeing that movie, Silence of the Lambs, and thinking he was so, that guy was so creepy, he had such a creepy voice. And then like, I saw him in another movie years later, and I was like, oh, I'll get to hear what this guy's real voice sounds like. He's like, and that's what he sounds like. This guy, he, he actually talks like that. And it's so funny, because I remember watching Monk uh, way back in the day, and, and you know, he's, uh, Ted Levine is um, like the police captain, in the show, and and that's that's just how he talks. Like, but slightly exaggerated as Buffalo Bill, but it's something that like my friends and I quote all the time. Like, we'll just, you know, like I don't know. We were talking about some 
some friend of ours or something, and just one of us will just go, oh, wait, wouldn't she be fat girl? And it's like, and you know, the real person isn't, but it's just such a, a line that stuck in our heads and we thought was so funny the way he, he delivers that line. <laughs> um, but you know, but the, the actual characterization of him is, like I said before, he's so like, this guy lives in a, in a whole other world. And, and you know, we talk about the buff, you know, Hannibal Lecter taking off uh, the face. Um, I didn't. I didn't realize this. You know, I was today years old, right? When I when I found out that in the scene when he's dancing in front of the camera, the wig he has on is from one of his victims. I never realized mm-hmm. that. I was looking at yeah. it. I was, I was like, "What is on his forehead?" I was like, "What is he doing there?" And I was like, "Oh my god, that that's from one of the victims." And it just and it made that scene just a thousand times more intense. Just like I said, like, you know, and he, and he tucks his penis between his legs when he's dancing and everything. And it's just like, like, the, you know, that scene is iconic in and of itself as long as well as the, all the, uh, the Hannibal stuff. And it's like, this guy is just like, he needs to be put down. He is an absolute insane monster. Um, so, you know, if, if, whatever your thoughts are on Buffalo Bill and his, his story because it it does kind of get overlooked even though that's sort of what the movie's about Clarice hunting down Buffalo Bill it's he, he gets overlooked unfortunately I think he does well there's just so much going on in in this movie uh that like it, it, and not that it's easy to overlook it but like every I feel like each of the storylines like at least up until the finale they all get their due in some way you know what I mean like they all get to be fulfilled in a very specific scary like you know narrative way uh, and i think buffalo bill he just his arc and his storyline completes like you know completes the movie but there's just so many memorable things that come before that where like i don't think it's you know uh, you know it, it's just kind of like an embarrassment of riches yeah. um and again even when we meet buffalo bill at the end with um, with clarice and the whole story kind of comes full circle it, it is more of her perspective than it is anything like whenever I think of that last, um, you know, that last sequence, I don't really think about him as much as I do her. So I think you're right that like it unfortunately gets overlooked. Um, I do know that Silence of the Lambs has come under criticism um, for the way that it handles uh, uh, transgender issues. Or there's, I haven't really read into it a whole lot um, because uh, you know I, I just don't really want to. I don't really think it's productive as productive to criticize a movie from. 30 years ago versus stuff that's being made now in terms of like where the culture is um you know but i do think uh the way that he is characterized is very scary and creepy and very distinct he is he doesn't really share a lot of traits of hannibal lecter you know because you know whenever hannibal is presented to us as the monster uh, you know for so much of the movie and then buffalo bill is some somebody who is completely different in just about every way possible so i think like it's i like that there is so much difference and there is so much variance in the story because um it makes each of the characters really um stand out for who they are um i do think uh ted levine is really good in um really good as uh as buffalo bill and uh my favorite acting of his uh I know a lot of people would uh, would probably pick the bucket scene, um, but I think you know what what really gets me scared. Like you know, I was talking earlier about Catherine being in the well. I don't know what it does to me, but there is something visceral where it hurts my chest to think about it. Like it's so scary to me in a weird way. Um, 
the the peak of that is really whenever the, she has the dog in in the well with her and um he starts freaking out and he starts having a meltdown right as clarice is kind of coming to the coming to the house and like yeah. that really for me is this his best highlighted um scene of acting um because we see him in such a vulnerable place whereas the rest of the movie he isn't he is not vulnerable at all he is just living his life and he's the one who has the power in these situations and uh, i just uh, i think it's uh, i think it's really good and that's what i most remember about buffalo bill no i i uh you know i i thought about that too rewatching it just going like you know and it's 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 nice to see the the character flip there where he's you know you just you see just how unhinged he really is um and but you know and, and i love that you say that that's your favorite bit of his in the movie and uh, my favorite bit was is actually just a little bit later when, um, you know, when Clarice comes to the house and he's like looking for the card for the guy that used to own the house and she starts to piece together, oh no, like this is him. And he realizes what she's doing. And when she's like, can I use your phone? And he just, and at that moment he's like, sure you can use my phone. And it's just, and he's back in control. And then yeah. he just laughs and runs off. Um, and you know, and that, and that scene in in the basement when he turns the lights off and he's got the goggles on is i mean i i remember the first time i watched it and i was like she's dead she's she's not gonna make it out of this movie like i i really thought we were gonna get like a really tragic ending to this character um and i'm glad we didn't um but you know that you know for all the you know it's but it was great to see that this character you know we saw we see just how terrified she is and just how yeah. much he's you know, like his hand is right in front of her face and it's just i'm getting chills just talking about it it's so good i'm getting chills listening to you like i <laughs> it, it, that this is my favorite part of the movie bar none like absolutely 100 like the from what you described like that cat mouse play that they have at the beginning mm-hmm. it's like i don't think i whenever watching it as a as a little kid because i i first watched silence of the lambs whenever i was like in sixth grade i watched it with my grandma Mm -hmm. um and from that point on like i've watched it over the years you know every so often but i don't think i ever caught on to just how scary that interaction is uh, and how vulnerable she is like you know and oh it's 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 really scary but obviously you know her running her running through the house and clearing out the space and trying to find him and finding the the well and the labyrinth as you described it um and and the 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 night vision goggles like that is the centerpiece of the movie that is the i i just think it's it's a master class of filmmaking it's legitimately scary uh it's i mean the suspense and even just like the way that she reacts after she shoots him and you can see the light again and she's just shaking it's one of the best it's one of the best scenes ever in movies ever yeah no 100 percent. it's it's so well done, and then you know, in the movie ends with her graduating, and and you feel like we're we've been on this journey with this character. So like this this was earned. She, you know, she earned this uh, this uh, this accolade that she's getting, and um, and it's you know, and I almost wish there there you know I I saw Hannibal in the movie theater with my dad years and years ago when it came out. I guess it was two thousand two thousand or two thousand one something like that. Uh, I don't even remember. It was the only time I ever saw the movie. And I just, I remember leaving there and we were all kind of disappointed feeling like, you know, partially because Julianne Moore, as talented as she is, is not on Jodie Foster's level. Um, And the movie itself just wasn't 
didn't impact us the way that the the Sansa Lambs did. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. You know, if you if you want to elaborate. I'm not a fan of either of any of the sequels. Like I think each of the sequels gets worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards of Hannibal, which is the sequel, I think that there this was Hannibal is like one of the worst cases of like a cash grab of uh, of a studio. Like there the, the the script and the narrative really were not up to par. It's lazy. It's half-assed. It's it's unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I personally think the studio should have scrapped it when Jodie Foster said no. I do, you know, Julianne Moore is one of the great actresses of our time. Like, I'm not going to dispute her for that. Like, she is incredible in, in all of her work, basically, since since then, yeah. since Hannibal uh, came out. But um, Jodie Foster defined this role. You know, there is something that I think is really important about retaining actors who originate roles, um, like, you know, it, this would have been like if Nev Campbell would have been recast in Scream 4. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's just, it's not, it's not appropriate. And that, you know, new actors, I feel like it's hard for people who come on midway through to get the the history of the character and the acting nuances. And I think she just, she just wasn't right for the part. And I don't think she was able to tap into the details she needed to, to make this a, a good characterization. Um, but overall, I just really think that the problem with the sequels were, was the fact that they're, they didn't really have a great story to tell. And the writing, I, in my opinion, is very lazy and sloppy and rushed. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, that's a, it, that goes back to Silence of the Lambs because, you know, it did win the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. So, like, mm-hmm. this screenplay is, it, it, it has it, it has it, it's worth its chops. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I think, the screenplay kind of goes underrated, but like without the screenplay being as brilliant and thorough and dynamic as it is, the movie itself and all of the amazing direction and performances, they wouldn't exist. Like it wouldn't be that we wouldn't be talking about this movie in the way that we are now. Like the screenplay is so essential. I think that was part of the problem with for Julianne Moore in Hannibal. I think it was the problem for the movie overall. I just think it's, um, you know, it, 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 it was a very poor way to continue the story. Um, I, I agree. It's, uh, and I remember my dad, you know, he was a big fan of the books and he said that the movie was way different from the book and he liked the book a lot more. Um, and it's just, you know, and I think that the, the Sansa Lambs, you know, I want to talk about this for, for a minute here. Um, the, the ending is so perfect. It's just, it's not a tragic ending. It's, but it is an ominous ending, you know, with her just, you know, Dr. Lecter, Dr. Lecter, you know, and, and I think it's just a great way to end the film feeling like it's it's like the less is more conversation. It's it's best left to our imagination that Hannibal is is out in the world and the world is going to be a scarier place for it, you know, and and even like and but we're, we're oddly rooting for him, especially we, like we said earlier about Dr. Chilton being the worst, <laughs> like, you know, he says, yeah, I'm having an old friend for dinner, you know, and it's just like. And there's a part of us that are secretly cheering for him, but also it's like, but also what's he going to do after that? Because that's, that's scary. And getting that answer in the Hannibal movie wasn't, was not nearly as satisfying, unfortunately. No, I, I have to, I have to agree. The ending, it, the ending is so, it's so fulfilling for Clarice's characterization, like in, in her character arc. Um, and it's just it's fulfilling like 
on what you're talking about, where like the movie is a very scary movie. And I think ending it on a very scary note where you get to, Clarice gets to fulfill what she was meant to do. Um, but you get a conclusion somewhat to this relationship in a way yeah. and just how odd it was, you know? So I, I, I think, you know, like you said, that line is clever as fuck. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's iconic. Like, you know, I, a, a great ending, like yeah. a perfect ending to the story. It's such a interesting, uh, you know, and, and I, and I love, I love wordplay. It's like, like I'm a dad, you know, when somebody else makes a dad joke, like at work, like I work with a lot of women, I, I don't even remember what the joke was, but I was like, I was like, Hey, Hey, I'm the dad. You don't get to make the dad jokes around here. And <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I, um, but, uh, you know, so I, I love like wordplay like that, you know, and it's just, um, and, and having Anthony Hopkins, who's a masterclass in and of himself in acting, just deliver it just so perfectly. Um, that you know, like you know that Clarice knows what he means right off the bat, and she probably also knows who's he, who he's talking about, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's just uh, it's it's so well done, and and the movie just leaves you with, like I said, this very ominous feeling um, that, like, yeah, the good guys won, but at what cost? Kind of a feeling, even if it isn't like this grand epic thing. Um, and I and I you know I'm a sucker for like you know, like sad stories anyway. Um, you know, like, you know, I've been like on this kick, like, um, I put up on Facebook, it was like, I was watching the Royal Tenenbaums and I was like, tell me you need to cry without telling me you need to cry. And it's like in a lot, of, and just a couple of people reach out and I was like, no, I'm fine. I just, I'm in that kind of mood where I just, I need something a little somber. It, it's funny, but somber. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I do the same thing with uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. You know, one of the most <sighs> brilliant movies ever made in my opinion um, like every now and then when I, either when I'm going through some heartbreak or some sort of relationship, whoa, I watched that movie. And, and, you know, when I was living with, you know, with my best friend, he came home and the movie was on and I had a beer in my hand and he was like, here we go. Here it is. <laughs> so, um, so I'm a little infamous in that regard. Um, but yeah, but you know, well, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can I just note, like, I completely agree with you about Eternal Sunshine. Like, I mm-hmm. cry like a baby every time I watch that movie. <laughs> like, the the scene that gets me is the scene um, when they're at the beach house in Montauk. And um, it, it, Joel's describing, like, to Clementine, oh, I should have stayed. Yeah. I should have stayed. And she says, well, you know, um, uh, let's let's have it. Let's come, come say goodbye. Let's pretend that we had one. Like, I just... I just cry from that point through the end of the film. It's yep. just so, I mean, it's just, there's something about that movie that's just unlocks some, some deep emotional part of me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting where I, I love the idea of the, the, the ominous ending. And, and another example I, I thought of while watching the movie, because this is never far from my brain anyway, uh, is I, I thought a little bit, it was a little bit like the dark Knight where, like te- yeah. technically the good guys win, but Batman has to sacrifice himself so that, you know, the this people of Gotham can feel safe even with Harvey Dent being dead. Um and it's a it's a strangely like sad ending, but you know, but it's also fitting. Um mm-hmm. it's the same way in this movie that, you know, Clarice gets her victory, you know, she's um you know, and 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 also like the way we were talking about it before, it's framed so that we are the audience, we are Clarice, whereas the last few minutes of the movie are actually filmed fairly traditionally, where you know we're not 
you know, staring Jack Crawford in the face. Um, you know, they're, they're actually sharing the frame, which doesn't happen very often in the film. Um, you know, and same with like the way she's framed when she picks up the phone and the way Lecter is, uh, is framed at the end. It's, it's much more traditional in that sense. And, and I don't even think you realize it, but it's like, oh, the movie has shifted now because the character has grown. Um, uh -huh. And so now the, the film can end more traditionally, but also, you know, in a, in a what's going to happen next kind of a way. But I, I like it, but I, I like it to end where, you know, we as the audience are just kind of like, well, what, but what's going to happen next? But we get to decide, you know, as the audience members. And like I said, I, I've, I haven't seen Hannibal in years and years and years, and I probably never will again. Uh, I have some curiosity towards it, but it's just like, no, it just, it, it ends so well that we're all like, like, man, like that it's, it's, uh, it's strangely satisfying, you know? Yeah. No, I feel you. So, um, I mean, Ryan, this, this has been a, a total blast getting to talk to you about this and, um, and, you know, and, and, you know, same with our, our Scream 2 conversation. I feel like we're, we're on the same wavelength here and uh, we get to really dig into this really uh, amazing piece of cinema that, you know, is so, you know, when you want to, like, show somebody, like, oh, you know, like, great acting, great, you know, uh, cinematography, great, um, like, world building and tension building, like, this, this is the one you got to show them. Yeah, I agree. No, I've had a, I've had a great time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so, um, if the people are looking for you out there on uh, internet internet land, uh, where can they find you? You can find me um, on Twitter for my personal account at Ryan C Showers, and um, for my podcast, you can find me at Scream Series Pod. Uh, the na the name of my podcast is Scream with Ryan C Showers, and I'm available on almost every platform. So please check it out, especially if you like horror movies or the Scream movies. Um, I, I, you know, like I said, I had a blast on your show and I also have a blast like listening to your show because I feel like it, it is going to sound a little strange and I'm not trying to like blow smoke up your butt or anything, but like, um, I, um, when, you know, it's like for the longest time, like before I went to like any comic cons, I felt like I was just such a, I, I felt like such a nerd, like, oh, look at my house is all decorated with comics and, and action figures and stuff. And then I go to Comic-Con and I see all these people. And I'm like, whoa, I, I'm the novice here. These people are the real fans. Um, and I <sighs> felt a little bit like that with you when uh, you were talking, like, even in your first episode, going into real detail about the feminist story and the family story of Scream. And I was like, man, I thought I liked the movie. Like this guy, he's <laughs> he's tuned in into, into a way that I never even thought of. And I could rewatch the movies and and feel that much more uh, in tune with them. So I I'm very excited for you know your show and where it's going. Oh, well, I don't know where it's going, but it's um, it's definitely a lot of fun for me. It's a very healthy thing for me, uh, and uh, I am I'm actually just really surprised that it my show has taken off and people have, have been appreciating it so much because i've thought whenever i started i was thinking oh gosh you know no one's going to want to listen to me me talk about scream you know <laughs> uh, over and over and over again but uh people are really tuned in and i'm really thankful for everyone who has supported my show so um so thank you for that i appreciate it yeah no of course um 
So, you know, like I said, thank you for joining me. We'll, we'll definitely get you back, you know, uh, and I hope to be back on your show too. Um, that was just like any chance to talk scream I, I will do. And, um, well, well also, um, I, I, I still have you in mind for my, I know you did last summer episode. I'll probably do that. You know, and I, I'm trying to really focus on scream right now through the release of the new movie. And then maybe like, you know, next, you know, this time next year, I'm going to do, I know you did last summer. And, I have you in my document as your JJ Hodges is my guy for, I know you did last summer. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do want to throw out to your listeners that I am also a huge Buffy person. So um, oh, yeah. I, you know, I've, I listened to your episodes about Buffy. They're great. Um, and I really appreciate what you said about season six because it's my favorite season. So, um, and it's, I, isn't this ironic? You know, my favorite Scream movie is Scream 3. My favorite Buffy season is season six. And they are the most like, you know, controversial um, movies and seasons in their respective um, fan fanfare. So, uh, but no, I really appreciate everything you said about season six and the uh, the darkness of that and how it represents life. Like that's something that's always been very present to me. So, um, so yeah, if you're if you guys like Buffy, even follow me. Like I also. I'm a huge Buffy person, so. Yeah, it, it, it's, and, you know, and, and I love, uh, and I love talking about that, you know, to stay on this tangent for another minute here. Uh, like, just, uh, you know, like, it goes back to what I said before. It's like, I, I'm kind of a sucker for the sad stuff, for the for the darker stuff. Um, and I don't know why, maybe it speaks to, you know, maybe that's something I should talk more about with my therapist, but, you know, it's, <laughs> but at the same time, I can, uh, I, I, I just, I enjoy that stuff because there's, there's a reality to it that, I think gets is is easy for people to to shit on but it's like no it's like I you really have to look at it through the lens of there's there's a reality here that even if it's not real it there's something about it that feels real and that's and that's important uh that's what yeah. Sansa of the Lambs does really well it feels real it feels scary that's what Scream does there's there's a reality to that like you know uh you know, I, I remember reading that after the movie came out, like caller ID sales went up like a hundred percent or something. Um, because it's, you know, there's some, there's something really scary about like, it's not the candy man that you, you know, that you just call in the mirror. Uh, it's not, um, Jason where it's like, just stay away from camp crystal Lake and you'll be okay. Um, it's, <laughs> it's somebody that, you know somebody that you you have a bond with that makes it scarier yeah no, i agree i agree so uh, so thanks so thanks again uh for joining me and uh, and to all you listeners out there we just have one question for you have the lambs stopped screaming clarice <laughs> <laughs> yes oh wow the, them the thematic power of that is just incredible so, uh, this is the first time my show's gonna end, and I don't sound like an idiot. Oh wait, I haven't started. <laughs>